If you're joining us for the first time, we welcome you to our study of the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most recognized sermon of all time, the most quoted and the most referred to, probably because it was preached by the Son of God, Jesus himself, and it has been timeless. Its power of application, its relevance have continued even to today. But if we could go back in time, almost 2,000 years ago, we would see a large crowd seated on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Jesus would be teaching. The crowd was an interesting crowd. I really look at three type, types of people, three groups of people there. There were the committed, the followers, the disciples. These were the 12 that Jesus said to follow me, and they did. He was their rabbi, their teacher, everywhere he went. They were with him. Everything he taught, they heard. We also have the curious. That was the crowd that followed him around, not sure what to make of him, but they had seen him feed thousands of people. They had heard his incredible, powerful teaching, and they'd seen him heal people, even raise the dead. They were curious. But then there were the critical the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, the Essenes. These people came and it didn't matter what Jesus said, they were against it. They were always trying to trap him. And it's amazing how with that diverse crowd, Jesus knew every single heart, he knew every single need, and he spoke to every single person. And that is really the theme of the Sermon on the Mount, the heart of the matter. He tries to cut through all of the superficial things, and he does so. And we're no different today. We focus a lot on image, image management, performance, and that's the way the people were then too. They had this exterior. Jesus would expose that as hypocrisy. He peeled back all those layers and went straight to the heart. And not just to make people feel convicted or to make them feel bad, but he really wanted to help them. There was a reason for him doing this. In the first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about their religious practices, their habits. And all of us have religious practices because we function out of what we believe and what we worship. But what he was trying to do was expose hypocrisy and lift up authenticity. He would show them and their religious practices how it was just a veneer. It was just a covering. It wasn't real. And he would show them how to have authentic, real worship. And he does this in three areas. He talks about their giving, how that these scribes and Pharisees were incredibly good at tithing on everything. They were so meticulous about their tithe, and yet they failed to give toward the poor and the sick and the needy. They were hypocrites. The second area he talks about is their prayers. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. In English literature, usually a story develops to a climax. So we, we begin with tension and it builds toward the end. But in Hebrew literature, usually the climax is right in the middle. And that's the case here. Right in the middle of Jesus talking about the heart, he talks about prayer. Because nothing will expose the reality of your heart and your spiritual condition more than how you pray. 
So what is prayer? I think we could complicate it with a lot of definitions, but simply prayer is talking to God. Prayer is pouring your heart out to God. In our scripture reading this morning, Jesus will explain what is real, what is authentic, and what is false. He does this beginning in verse 5 of chapter 6. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father, who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. The truth is, everyone prays. We all pray. Even the person who says, I don't believe in God, still prays. We are created with that vacuum within our lives. And in the tense times, difficult times, we naturally pray. In this message, Jesus is going to talk about two indispensable requirements for authentic prayer. The first one of these is, you must come humbly to the Lord. So we would say humility. You cannot pray without humility. And the problem is exposed in verse 5 when it says you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So how would you describe the prayers of a Pharisee? Long and loud. <laughs> The motive, it says in this text, was for show, to be seen by people, those prayers. And Jesus says they have their reward. In other words, when people applaud them, when people see them, when people notice them, the synagogue was the place of teaching. And so religious people would be gathering together for the teaching and they would stand up and they would pray these high and lofty prayers to be seen by people. They would stand on the street corners, busy places, and make these eloquent prayers to God to be seen by people. That is all they get. That is their reward. You know, we haven't changed a lot in our culture today. By nature, we're pretty proud people. We're pretty self-focused. We're self-aware and self-conscious. We're self-promoting. And that shows in the way that we talk about ourselves. We view ourselves as the center of all that is going on. But what we should do is what he says in verse 6. When you pray, go into your private room. And a private room in that day was more like a bedroom, a place that was where you had your special things, your private things, a place for you to be alone. And he says, go and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. Now what this passage is not saying is that it's, that it's wrong to stand and pray. We find examples of kneeling and praying, being prostrate and praying, walking and praying, and standing and praying. But I think the Pharisees were standing in public places to be seen. And what Jesus is saying is that prayer should be a very personal 
and relational thing. You get alone because prayer is between you and God. And if you're not talking to God or getting through to God, that prayer is completely ineffective. The only way that anyone can ever come to God is humbly. You have to have humility to come to God. It is the nature of faith to trust, to lean on, to depend upon. Faith is, is believing God and trusting in God. It is dependence. One of the great examples of this I find in Luke chapter 18 in verses 9 to 14. This is called the Pharisee and the tax collector. And if you, if you don't know about Pharisees, they are the most particular religious people of all time. And a tax collector was probably one of the most despised people in society as just being a thief and a robber. And these two people pray. This Pharisee prays this eloquent prayer, and then this tax collector prays his prayer. Here's what Jesus says. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The only way to come to God is in humility. You must come in humility. That's why when we say the access to God is through Jesus, his son, that God sent his son for us, and that the only way to God, the only way to heaven, is through his son, Jesus. Not by our works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And it takes humility to come before God, not describing, I did this, I did this, I'm better than this person, but in recognizing you are not worthy. You are not worthy of salvation. You are not worthy to come before God. You are not worthy to pray. But Jesus Christ is the way to God, and he makes us worthy. Jesus Christ himself, <clears throat> as we're describing in our verses of the week, in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let this mind be in you, the same attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to describe his great humility in coming to this earth, laying down his life for us. But the only way that I can come to God is in humility. So it's through Jesus, but humility is also expressed by the Holy Spirit. Because humility is something that I, I take on when I realize that I need help. I need help to pray. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, it describes a person who wants to pray, doesn't even know how to pray. They don't even know what to say. 
but it says there that the Spirit himself works in us and helps us to be able to pray. So this is the way we come. The only way to come to God is to come humbly. Humbly through Jesus, humbly by the help of the Spirit. But there's a second way that he talks about, and this is we must come honestly. If it's not real, it's not authentic, it's superficial, it's phony, it's fake. You have to come to God humbly, but you also have to come to God honestly. And the problem is we see in verse 7, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. And this is what they would do, just on and on. Jewish people would have many prayers. They'd have a prayer book. In fact, they would have prayers that they would recite by memory. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9 was one of those. It was called the Shema, to hear. And they would have all these recita recitations, and they would, they would uh, have to have certain ones done before 9 in the morning, uh, the third hour of the day. They'd have to have certain ones done before 9 o'clock at night. Then, and then they would have a prayer for every situation in life. They'd have a prayer, and they'd have it memorized. But the thing is, those prayers never got past the ceiling. They never went anywhere. They were just vain and empty repetitions. And that's why he says, you're babbling on, even like the Gentiles who pray to their gods. Those prayers have no effect. They're vain, they're empty repetitions. You've heard of the word to muse, to think about, to contemplate, to have focus or attention. Amuse means without thought. We have our amusement parts. Parks. And that's exactly the way these people were praying. They were praying without thought, without intentionality, without, without focus, without a seriousness. These prayers were not real, and they were not heard. In our culture, I think we do that. Even, even as Christians, how many times do we say a prayer before a meal that's a repetition of things we've always said, and we don't even think about it? I think we, too, can become guilty of this. We have in our culture a projection, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, of how we want to appear to be. So there is that, what we want people to see and what we really are. Now, God knows what we really are. That's why the only way to come to him in prayer is to be honest about that. In verse 7, it says, Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Now that is an incredible thought. Your father knows what you need before you ask. Now you could think, and I've thought this a few times, why pray? Why pray? If God already knows everything, why pray? Because the greatest purpose of prayer is relationship with your father. That's not a means to an end. Prayer is not a means to an end. Prayer is the end because prayer is an intimate communication with your Father. But think about this. If he already knows what you need before you ask, he also knows what you want before you ask. I've had people ask me, does God ever change? Does God ever change his mind? Will God ever change a course of what he is doing? That's a really tough question. I don't believe God ever changes his character of who he is. I don't believe God changes his promises. 
But God will change in response to our prayers, but he'll always do so under the umbrella of his sovereign plan and his sovereign work. It's, it's probably very difficult to understand. But God does hear and God does answer prayer. But the prayers must be real and they must be genuine. To me, when I think of the implications of that, that God knows before I ask, I think again to his sovereignty, his greatness, his power, his incredible love, his attention to me that, that without even asking, without me even praying or saying anything, he knows what I need, he knows what I want, he knows what's best, and he wants me to come to him and to pray. So it is the heart that matters. And your heart, my heart, is really revealed by how we pray. We must come to God <clears throat> humbly, and we must come to God honestly. Remember, there is nothing that we do, and I, and I think this is uh, probably one of the most profound thoughts that I conclude with, is that there is nothing that I ever do that has greater weight and greater power than prayer. Nothing. For my marriage, my family, my personal life, my job, this world. Nothing. So that is how we come to God. Those two points. We come humbly and we come honestly to have authentic prayer. But you ask the question, so what? What is the effect? If, let's say that I have humble, honest prayer that God hears. What is the effect of that? And I'd like to leave you with just three words. And I, I try to put this in a way that'd be simple to, to take with you as a, as a takeaway today. Three distinctives of prayer that gets through of humble, honest prayer. The first one, personal. Personal relationship. A real, authentic prayer is going to build a personal relationship with your Father. In these 18 verses, we're going to see Father mentioned 10 times. It is more mentioned more here than any other place in the Bible. This is what Christianity is all about. It is about a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Secondly, authentic prayer is marked by this. It's powerful. It is powerful. There is nothing you can do that can come, come close to what God can do. God can do more in a moment than you can do in a lifetime. And you spend all your energy striving, working, laboring to do this and do this. And what at the end is, what is done? But God is unlimited in his power and in his might. So when I'm talking to God and God begins to act and God begins to move, his power is unlimited. So authentic, real prayer is not just personal it's powerful. And then thirdly, the third word, it is productive. You know, he talks about reward in here. He says, you know, you, you get all the applause of men for your fancy prayers and your giving and all these things. You have your reward. That's all you're going to get. But when God does something, it lasts. It endures over time. And that is a reward that continues to pour out and continue to give. It, we say... In, in terms of scripture, it bears fruit and fruit that remains and fruit that reproduces. It is productive. God will reward you. It's personal, it's powerful, 
it's productive. So my prayer is this, we can have real authentic prayers. This is what God wants. This is part of authentic Christianity. We must come humbly and we must come honestly. So you and I can pray and God hear and God answer. Let's pray together. Let's take some time just for a moment to think through your own life. You may feel like your prayers don't get very far. You may wonder, is God even really hearing me? But if you come to him humbly and you come to him honestly, he says he will hear and he will answer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the only way we can, with humility, brokenness, and dependence. We do this through your Son, Jesus, and by the help of the Holy Spirit. We come in honesty, transparency, and openness. You know everything about us, and you know everything we need. Help us to realize that prayer is the greatest and most effective work we can do. Help us to embrace it as our way of life, and may it become the great expectancy of our hearts, seeing you do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Help us to respond in faith to this present crisis in our nation, our community, and many of our families. We pray for the physical and spiritual needs of every soul on this earth, souls you have created, loved, and sent your Son to redeem. May we respond as true children of our Heavenly Father, ministering grace to those in need. Thank you for your presence through it all and for your words that fill our hearts with hope. We worship you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.